0: 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, we are moving at the speed of a slow snail uh, through here, but trying to cover uh, some of what's in here. It's amazing and fascinating the depth that all these verses go to. So uh, before we begin, let's just take a moment for uh, silent prayer. Let us prepare ourselves um, to go in front of the throne of grace and to be Uh, fed the Word of God right out of His Word. So let's just take this moment and get ourselves ready. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for Your matchless grace, Your amazing love. We thank You for all that You've done for us in Your beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I just pray this morning... That we will uh, get a deeper glimpse into your word as we open it up. And that through it we'll be able to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well we are in 2 Peter 3, 7. Uh, It's getting some interesting verses. It says like here the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire. Perfect tense that is used there kept for a day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now, we got into the uh, summary, and you can see that's why you got a lot of blanks filled in, uh, down to you get to to point eight. But ungodly people who who reject God's uh, word have rejected God's judgment in history. And one of the things that he has taught us is that he brings about judgment in his own way, in his own time. That's what he does. That's part of being sovereign, king of kings. He chooses how he's going to do it, when he's going to do it, and what manner he's going to do it. And he says, they've kept for a day of judgment. There's more than one day of judgment. That's why we have what's called the anarthrous use of the word here. It doesn't say the day of judgment, but a day of judgment. For the destruction... uh, and destruction of ungodly men. So if they've rejected his past judgments and they just look at things like the flood as, no, that was an accident or whatever, and they write all that off, then what makes us think that they're going to be looking at any future judgments that are going to come on mankind? If you reject the word of God, you end up rejecting it all, whether you want to or not. So the Noahic Covenant that we have seen promises there will not be another worldwide judgment by water. And I'm happy to know that. We've been around some pretty deep water at times, and uh, it's just not going to cover the whole world up. Everybody else, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people around the world have faced uh, flooding. Didn't New York City get a couple of feet of water in the streets this last week or something, and they never get they never get water in the streets, and there it is? So... You know, when the Lord gets ready to get our attention, He's very good at doing that. The next massive judgments will be by fire. And we went through that, uh, it's foretold by. Uh, many of the Old Testament prophets. We know that there's some more fire judgments that are getting ready to come. So if you believe God brought prior judgments like the flood, like Sodom and Gomorrah, like the northern kingdom, southern kingdom, if you believe in those judgments, why not believe in the ones that that have been prophesied? It's going to be kindled because of the righteousness of God and executed by the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is going to uh, take care of this. Interesting passages um, in here. He says, uh, Do homage to the Son, lest he become angry, and you perish in the way. His wrath might soon be kindled. To kindle means the light of fire. And using fire for judgment is something that, that the Lord does. Now, the day of the Lord includes the time frame from the rapture to the great white throne, uh, being at least a 1,007 years. Uh you know, seven years of the tribulation and thousand years of the millennium before the great white throne. So when is the the heavens and earth going to be totally destroyed by fire like we're going to read about here in a couple verses? It's at least a thousand and seven years away. So it should bring a little comfort to us as we uh, look around. And it's good to know, I don't know if you've picked up the latest news, I know it's not been broadcast across... Uh, Main major media but uh, 1600 climate scientists and uh, meteorologists and all signed this thing that said global warming was a hoax basically that the basic premises upon which it is built is built on faulty science now we knew that <laughs> we knew that because you know man can't destroy the world <laughs> neither can man save the world Okay. We're in the hands of the Lord. That's that's the fact of the matter. So we might as well realize realize that fact. But yeah, it's nice that some scientists got their heads together and said, we're going to sign this thing. And that came out evidently uh, within the last week or so. And uh, I don't watch mainstream media, so I don't know if they've said anything about it or not. But uh, only a few of those oddball stations will say anything about it. But it's it's definitely been there. Now, a day of judgment indicates fire is going to be used to ruin these men at different times and places. It's different from the day of judgment because that would require a dispensational contextual interpretation. So he's made this, an Arthurus, he's made this a day of judgment so there's going to be different times. And as we read the, the events of the tribulation, we find out there's going to be fire judgments that's going to take place during the course of the tribulation. Different fire judgments. Specific locations. Specific people at specific times. Some of the noted fire judgments. That we find that are given in scripture. We went through all this last week. So that's why I'm not spending a lot of time. On these things. Is the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, you know judgment. Must start with the household of God. Well when we get raptured. Guess what? We get the judgment seat of Christ. What happens there? The big fire. Because fire is used for purification. It's used for judgment but it's used to, to purify and all of our works are going to be thrown into this big fire. Now no work can save us. It's not the works it's talking about. It's talking about the human good works and the divine good works. The human good works are ones that we do for our glory. Because we can do good things. This is the, the problem of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was off limits for a reason. Because there's a good that can be done not for the glory of God. And that's all that wood, hay, and stubble. That's the, the stuff that we, we give somebody a gift because we want them to say thank you. We want them to think, oh, they're such a generous, kind person. They're so trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. They are just great. They're Boy Scouts. <laughs> Some of you realize that, but that is, <laughs> that is the, that a scout is. And that's, we learned that back when we were 12 years old. And so it's, if you're doing those things for your glory, it's human good. If you do them for the glory of God, it's divine good. And that is going to be left. That's the gold, silver, and precious stones. And, uh, so anyway, the judgment seat of Christ is where it starts. Then we see in the trib, religious Babylon destroyed by fire. Prophetical Babylon destroyed by fire. The king of the north destroyed by fire. The antichrist and the false prophet. You see fire judgments all through the tribulation. In Revelation 20 verse 9, this is the rebels of the Gog-Magog rebellion after the millennial kingdom. And they're destroyed by fire. Uh, We're not told a lot about that final rebellion. I think Satan is saying, well, you know, I've got one more possibility maybe of winning this conflict. You know, you remember you made me work through that stupid snake. And you made me work through that idiot Judas. And so, if they could just see me, then I could, I could win this thing. And so, God lets him out for a little while. And all we're told about this final judgment is, you know, a mighty fortress. One little word shall fell him. Uh, it's kind of like He lets him out. He leads rebellion, and poof, it's over. It's over. And God shows, once again, who he is and who Satan is not. Anyway, how about destruction of the universe? That's coming up in our passage here in verse 10. And we're going to take a look, closer look at the day of the Lord. Jews 23 times in the New Testament. And we're going to take a, take a look at it. And then Satan, angels, and unbelievers, as they are cast into the lake of fire. So fire, there's a lot of fire judgments So he's saying these ungodly people of the last days, there's a fire reserved for them for judgment. Now, some key characteristics of the last days, and we've been through a lot of them already. We're just boiling it down to two uh, for the the purposes of this, this summary. Men will be lovers of self. They'll be lovers of self. In 2 Timothy 3, in the first seven verses, if you want to go ahead and turn there while I... Loosen up my throat again. It's kind of like this this leg. I felt like Terminator just getting out of bed this morning. Trying to get this thing working. And whenever it's not working, the prescription is, get it working. (laughs) Okay? That's that's what you do. So, uh, anyway, realize this. And in the last days, difficult times will come. Okay. This is a comment about the last days. We went through these verses in detail. I said one time how many people have this, these 20 things up on their refrigerator. And uh, Joanna Riley made me one and laminated it and it's on my refrigerator. So I've got all these 20 things that I don't want to do because they are part of the last days. Men will be lovers of self tops the list. And here we are. Here we are. It's all about I, me, mine, and myself. It's called the eye disease. And we have that tendency within us as, as human beings to, to want to bring all the credit to ourself instead of give all the glory to God. One of the things that the Reformation, solo dei gloria, all soul, all glory goes to God. He says, they'll be lovers of self, lovers of money, Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness. Now that's a very revealing verse, verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness. Although they've denied its power, avoid such men as these. And that's what we have floating through a lot of the churches, sadly, today. It's a form of godliness. When you have a church that doesn't believe the Bible's the inspired word of God, they've got a form of godliness no matter how good it looks. Okay, When they reject Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins, when they reject these, and there are churches that do that, it's a form of godliness. It is not the real thing. They may have all kinds of of, uh, murals and everything else up on the wall. They might have all kinds of of, uh, statues and icons and all that. But if they don't believe the core beliefs of Christianity, it's a form of godliness. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins Led on by various impulses, ever learning, and never being able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth is not found in a proposition, it's found in a person. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that's what we have to constantly remember. But this is a marker of the, of the last days. Men is going to accumulate ill-gotten wealth. We also went through James 5 is the second key characteristic of the last days. People love themselves and they love money. And you can kind of look at that uh, just as you see uh, uh, Harvard Business School teaches a amoral economic system. And it's finally been exposed, although not greatly, but they don't care anything about people. Have you noticed that? It, it, if you ever flew very much, you noticed that the seats kept getting smaller. On the airplanes, because they found out if they could shrink them another two inches, they could add another seat or two. And then they were squeezing out the pennies. And as a result, it wasn't about serving anybody; it was all about making money. And that's that is a being a lover of money. Come on now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted. Gold and silver don't rust. Something unusual has happened here. And their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It's in the last days you've stored up your treasure. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields. And which has been withheld by you. It's talking about the ultra rich here of the last days very clearly, and how they are not willing to pay people anything fair, remotely fair. And he says it cries out against you and the outcry of those who did the harvesting and reached the edge of the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the armies. Shabaoth. You've lived luxuriously on the earth. You've led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and put to death the righteous man, and he does not resist you. Now, the wealthy have indeed uh, made their money off the backs of basically slave labor. Now, these are key characteristics of the last days. How do we handle the mockers? Okay. We know there are mockers in the last days. We've seen them. We've identified them. And it comes from all different directions. And the basic issue of a mocker is they're mocking God and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're mocking His plan. In doing that, they're mocking the Bible. They are mocking Christians. We are becoming some of the most hated people on earth as Christians. Now... What's going on? I sent an email out about one of our missionaries on the back table uh, who's in a place out there by uh, India. It's not India, but it's a place out there by India. And I just sent the email out yesterday, and his uh, brother got arrested because they had a church building under construction. His brother got arrested, and um, uh, the main, the chief elder, and they have hauled them off to the uh, police department. Because somebody complained about him building a church. Now this is the same guy that had just said, you just got information about that uh, uh, pastor's uh, family was assaulted. Uh, the girl was raped. It would, you, you saw it. You responded to it. And we, we are thankful for the offering that came in that was just sent, sent on to him this last Friday. To try and help rebuild some people's lives that were there. But it's still going on. It's not over. It's not fixed. It's, not, uh, it, it's just another step of the conflict that they are facing. So if you would remember to, to do that. See they're mocking Christianity. They don't care about the laws. They're protected under the law. But whenever they start twisting the law in order to go after Christians it's called persecution. And that's what they have done in many countries around the world. And some people say, well, it's not happening here. It is happening here. And it's getting ready to happen to an even greater degree if the Lord tarries. So first of all, how do you handle them? First of all, realize the Lord himself has already been mocked and was not swayed in his love nor plan. He's the one that bore it for us. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. He is the one that, that understands who we are. Matthew twenty eighteen and 19 says, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death. And he will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day he'll be raised up. Now, How do we face the the mockers? Hebrews chapter 4, which is not on your handout. But when you go to 4.12, we know the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We know that verse. That's 4.12. 4.13 is all creatures are open and laid bare before him with whom we have to do. 4.14-16 to is that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses he was made like us in all things and yet without sin therefore come boldly into the throne of grace to find grace and, and grace and mercy to help in time of need so realize it whenever you see the mocking whenever it's coming your way whenever it gets intentionally directed at you remember the lord went through the same thing and he understands the pain that it causes if you say it causes me no pain, maybe we're not really in tune with life itself. But it it hurts when somebody goes after our character, our honor, what we stand for, our ideals. It hurts. And how do we handle it? The Lord's already been there. He's already been there. So we leave it in the Lord's hands because revenge is His. He will repay, says the Lord, not, not us. It's not for us to go after Him. Realize that the great believers of history have also experienced great mocking. So, this is not a new test. In Hebrews 11, verse 35, this is after the roster of not all of the great uh, heroes of the faith, but certainly a good representation of them. And then he gets to verse 35 in Hebrews 11 he says, women received their dead back by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release. Rather than being let out of a prison, they said, no, I'm staying here with the people of God. And many of them were fed to the lions. This is the time frame of the uh, major persecution under Nero. He says, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, that's pretty cool. Whatever pain you undergo right now for the cause of Christ will be paid back for eternity. More so than you can ever imagine. He says, and others experience mockings and scourgings. Yes, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves... And holes in the ground. And all these... Having gained approval through their faith... Did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us... They should not be made perfect. He sang throughout the course... Of, of human history... Believers have undergone persecution. They have been mocked for the God they believe in. That's what has has gone on. And he says what? So they can get, and, and they didn't get what was promised. Earlier in Hebrews 11, it talks about Abraham. He was promised a piece of land, innumerable descendants, and whenever he died, he didn't have any of that. But he knew one day he would. So one day he's going to get be back and the Abrahamic Covenant's got land from the south edge of the Euphrates. It's got land from the Euphrates all the way to the river of, of Egypt. In Jude 1 and verse 17, he says, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ that they were saying to you, in the last time, there shall be mockers. That sounds a whole lot like what we're looking at in Second Peter 3, doesn't it? This is Jude. Following after their own ungodly lust. And these are the ones who cause divisions. Worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved. Now in here, he's going to give, in this part of Jude, he's going to give three conditions... And three applications. Okay? And you're gonna we're gonna find a command tucked in here. But you beloved, praying in the Holy Spirit, you could say praying by means of the Holy Spirit and translate the Greek construction just as just as well. Praying by means of the of the Holy Spirit. Um building yourselves up in the most holy faith, that's a Second condition. First condition is beloved, you're a believer, building yourself up on your most holy faith, growing in faith, and praying by means of the Spirit. First command is to keep yourselves in the love of God. When you face the mockers of the last days saying that God's not true, Christ is not true. The Bible is not true when you face the mockers of the last days. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That means that you stop and think, does God love me? And the answer to that is yes. As a believer in Jesus Christ, who put your faith in him for eternal salvation based on his death, burial, and resurrection, you are in the love of God, and guess what? You can't get out. Romans 8, 35 to 39. You can't get out of it. He says there's absolutely nothing, height, breadth, depth, uh, principalities, powers, things to come that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So he says, stay there. Start thinking about the fact that God loves you. And he says, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to do eternal life. Waiting. Don't you just love words like that? When the Bible comes in and he says, hurry up and wait. Well, waiting. Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He says, have mercy on some who are doubting. This is the first application. You stay in the love of God. Okay, Get your eyes off everything else. You stay in the love of God and you help the ones who are doubting. Look for the Thomases. Not little Thomas down here. He's got a great faith. But look for the the doubters. Okay? Look for them. And your job as a Christian, he says, here, have mercy on some who are doubting. Some who may have lost their faith, lost their way. Second application. Save others. Snatching them out of the fire. Just keep giving the gospel everywhere you go. That's what we're called to do. Snatching them out of the fire. The eternal fires of of hell. I mean, Revelation chapter 20. Because he who believes in the Son has life, he who does not believe in the Son does not have life. But the wrath of God abides on him. So everybody is facing an eternity in hell until they believe in the Son. That's the way the laws are set up. Everybody wants to change the law much easier to just connect with it and obey obey it save others snatching them out of the fire in the third application have and on some have mercy with fear hating even the garment polluted by the flesh learn to make the distinction between between the, the sin and the sinner it's easy to say it's not easy to do but learn to make the distinction And all these things are going to be one day destroyed now keep your eyes on the Lord and not men Hebrews 12 I love this passage we just read some of Hebrews 11 men of whom the world is not worthy the people who gave it all for the cause of, of Messiah Hebrews 12 therefore and every time you see a therefore you get asked what is it there for? It's a conclusion drawn from chapter 11 okay because all these great believers, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us now the way this thing is, is pictured is like a football stadium that is full, which if you can't turn on the TV on a weekend and not see a football stadium. Now you can see some empty ones, <laughs> but you can't. You 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 find them and they're all full. And there's a game going on. And down there on that field, this thing is is going on. And this is the word picture that we get because they had the same thing in the ancient world. They had the arenas. They had the gladiators. They had the the uh, Isthmus games. They had all kinds of Olympic uh, games that went on in the ancient world. And this is the picture that we're given since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us it's like we're the ones that are out here on the field okay and some people would rather not be on the field but guess what we're on the field let us lay aside every encumbrance okay you'll notice about football players and basketball players they don't carry a lot of extra weight around they keep trying to get their their shoulder pads and their helmets as light as they can possibly get. They don't want any extra weight at all. Lay aside every encumbrance. The sin that so easily entangles us. Huh. We have a sin nature. All of us have a sin nature. And your sin nature selfish. I, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of really who you are. I know a lot of you pretty well. I do know that, that everybody I know has got a sin nature. And everybody knows me knows I've got one too. We have that. And it says, lay aside. you got to decide, I'm not going to let the sin nature run my life anymore. You want to really run this race? Lay it aside. And The sin that so easily entangles us. It's like we've got a net wrapped around our legs or a rope or we're in a sack race. And we're trying to, trying to run. He says, let us run with endurance the race that's set in front of us. We're talking this morning. Everybody's got their own path through this life. We all come from different directions, different backgrounds. It's just the way it's just the way it is. But whatever your background is, we all have to we're getting ready for verse 2 here. We have to get ready for this race, prepare for this race. And he says, run with endurance the race that is set in front of us. Whatever your path or course of life Fixing our eyes on Jesus. In this is a race. And it's, it's interesting because it's like a marathon because it lasts last our whole life and we're supposed to run it like a 100-yard dash. See? And then what does it say? You're coming around the corner fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now if you're in a race... You need to fix your eyes on the finishing line. Because he's there. And that's why it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author. He's the one who set this all up. And finisher of the faith. Who for the joy set in front of him. Now why do people run these races? Paul said to receive a perishable crown. But we an imperishable crown. Why do they get involved in these events? Because they want to win. And he says, the author and perfecter or finisher of the faith, who for the joy set in front of him endured the cross, despising the shame. Now he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oftentimes that's where we leave the quotation of that verse. But verse 3 is a very clear application to our life today. Consider, it says, him who has endured such hostility by sinners. This includes the mocking and the things we've been looked by sinners against himself. Why? So you don't grow weary and lose heart. So whatever you run into in this life think about him what he endured and set your eyes on him at the finish line cuz we want to finish this this race that we are in we want to finish it strong so keep our eyes on the lord and not men cuz if we're looking at human beings we're going to be we're going to be disappointed that's just that's the way it is now in verse 8 we find the truth about about that teaching and he's talking about the false teaching that came about that all things continue as it was from the beginning, etc., etc., that basically introduced evolutionary thinking, and he's saying this is going to be a problem of the last days, and so don't let that sway you because those are mockers. In verse 8 he says, but, this is a mild adversative, duh, it's just a contrast with verse 5, that it escapes the notice of the false teachers, he says, but do not let this one fact escape your notice. This is the weak negative May with the present imperative of L'Anthano. We've seen this word before. It means don't be consciously ignorant of something. Sometimes people say, well, I just don't want to know. Well, we ought to want to know. A lot of stuff. And if it's about God, for sure. How are we going to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't want to increase our knowledge. He says. Beloved. Don't let this one fact escape your notice. Beloved. See you got to be in a relationship with the Almighty. That with the Lord. Alongside the Lord. Literally para is the preposition used here. One day. Now, the numeral one is expressed here. And that's important because it's comparing it to a 24-hour day. Okay, It could have said a day, left out the numeral one. It says, with the Lord a day. But it doesn't say a day. It says one day. So he's setting up a very important analogy here. He says, <clears throat> is as, this is host. It means it's an analogy, not an equation. Okay. If it had been an equation, it would have had kathos. But instead it has hos. So it says it's, it's about a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day, literally the word order is reversed there, and it says in a thousand years as day one. Oh, got to think about that one. Where did we also get a day one? <laughs> Back in Genesis. Now, we are not to miss or ignore some important and obvious facts like the false teachers choose to do. That's verse five and six of this, this passage. They that escapes are notice by the word of God. The heavens kept on being long ago. The earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. So it's saying what we're looking at today was caused by a global flood. Okay, And that escapes their notice. Because as you know, they say these are all local floods. The flood of Noah was a local flood around the Black Sea. Of course, it's interesting that it set this boat thousands of feet up on Mount Ararat. That was quite, you know when you can cover a 17,000 foot mountain, you have covered a lot of ground. It's just, I mean, it's it's foolishness with some of the arguments that, that they they make. But he says, here we have a world and what we see now was generated by a global flood. Which is what the Bible claims. And they reject that. Now the Lord is indeed eternal. He is not bound by time. And this is Psalm ninety. This is the Psalm of Moses. Interesting Psalm says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you did give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Glad Moses got that one right. See, you are God. You do turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. Now, Moses is saying, and what he's pointing to is, God, you're not bound by time. He's the maker of time. He is outside of time. He can change it any way that he wants to change it. Now this verse is not designed to open the door to reading evolution in the scripture having just shut it in the preceding verses. Okay, So some people take this and well a day is a thousand years and then off they go into the wild blue yonder with evolutionary theory and theistic evolution and everything else. No, he just shut the door on that. So in contextually you have to say that Uh, it's not about anything other than the timelessness of the Almighty. And that's what it's designed to show. It's designed to show the eternality of the Lord. Now, there are frequent markers of time found in the Scripture measured in sevens. God likes sevens. I guess that's why people... They're always trying to get triple sevens on the slot machines when they go into the casinos. They always like the the sevens. Well, here's a seven. Seven's a number of completion. And first of all, uh, these markers of time, you you know them, we all know them. Seven 24-hour days in a week. Isn't it amazing (laughs) that nobody on planet Earth has an eight-day week? Or a nine day week, or a ten day week. It's a seven day week. Kind of like the way God set it up in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. On the seventh day, Shabbat, you shall rest. God rested. And then there is a week of weeks after the Feast of First Fruits, and then uh, the Feast of Pentecost on the 50th day. So after the Feast of First Fruits, you count off seven Seven-day periods, 49 days, the 50th day. Okay, we're going to have a party. Feast of Pentecost. There's a week of months in the seventh month cycle of the Feast of Israel. Hmm. From Leviticus chapter 23. There's a week of years with the seventh year as the sabbatical year in Exodus 21. Sabbatical year is an interesting year because it says, Don't plant your ground. Are they going to need faith to do that in an agricultural economy? Does God want them obedient? Yeah. (laughs) They wandered in the desert for 40 years trying to figure that out. And then they have spent 1,500 years since then still trying to figure it out before 70 A.D. And so he says the seventh year, let your land rest I live on a piece of land out in Yukon, which was once farmland, which they evidently didn't replenish, because all that backyard of ours can grow is weeds, okay? We have put gardens in, we have nurtured it, we've taken dirt out, we've put fertilizer in. We've taken soil samples, we've done all that stuff. And you know what it does? Some scraggly old okra from time to time. That's all it has ever done because it has been stripped. So it said, he said, and it's a very practical thing, this is what I want you to do Israel, that seventh year, let your land rest. Now they could move it around, they call it rotation of crops and a lot of different things. They could but but let the land rest. There's a week of years and then the Jubilee year. Okay. Seven years uh, and another times seven. Forty-nine years, and then the Jubilee year. This is a week of weeks of years. Okay, you got the weeks of years, which form the sabbatical year, which is the seventh year. And then you do seven of those, and you got Jubilee. And the Jews forgot to do that. Remember that? They got into the land. They got into the land of Canaan. They forgot to do that, and Daniel figured it out. And he says, I know how long we're going to be here. Because God is letting the land rest. Because we didn't let the land rest. Some people look at, at the Old Testament and say it's all about the law. And I say, no, it's about grace because the Jews messed up every point of the 613 commandments given to them. And they're still here. Uh, it's all about, really, all about grace. There's a specific prophecy to Israel of 70 weeks of years. 490 years are given for Israel. It shall be broken down seven weeks. Oh, let's see, 49 years. That's what it took to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem under the decree of Artaxerxes. And then 62 weeks. That ended up when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. That's what common knowledge is. On the, when he, the last week, and he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And guess what? That 69th week was over. It says, Then after the 69th week, Messiah shall be cut off. Daniel's prophecy was the death of the Messiah. Not the excommunication. It was the death of the Messiah. And then there's going to be certain things happen. But there's Daniel's 70th week. Still hadn't happened yet. We're looking forward to that. When the trumpet sounds and we're all called home at the rapture. That, I believe, starts the 70th week of Daniel. The next question is, is there a week of millennia? 2 Peter three eight. Because if you take a biblical chronology from Adam to the flood, go ahead and add it up yourselves, 1,656 years. Okay? There's a year that kind of sneaks in there because the flood was 370 days from the time they walked into the, into the ark until the time they walked out of the ark. So, 1,656 years. Then you work the the math. After that, you have to factor in Acts. There's 60 years not found in that particular um, uh, paragraph. But there's 352 years then until the birth of Abraham. Totaling about 2,008 years from Adam to Abraham. Abraham was born about 1950 B.C., now we've been through some chronology, and what we know is that you can put history together back to the fourth year of Solomon. Okay, So we work it backwards, from the birth of Christ to the fourth year of Solomon. But the Bible gives a chronology from Adam. And so what happens is you put those two together at the fourth year of, of Solomon. So <clears throat> what we're able to see is that from birth of Abraham... To the birth of Christ, roughly 1950 years. And then from the birth of Christ till Israel comes back into the land, roughly 1950 years. A day is as a thousand years. Close to, similar to, not exactly as. Are we nearing the end of the sixth millennia? From what the Bible reveals, looks like we are. Yet to be is the millennial kingdom. It's a thousand years. And if we add all those together, we get about 7,000 years. So is there a week of millennia? Based on the pattern we have seen God establish, we could say maybe with a pretty high level of probability, but we can't put our finger on it like we can all these other units of seven And say the same thing. Viewing a day as a thousand years and vice versa. Clears up some otherwise difficult prophetic passages. Hosea chapter 6. I I love this, this passage. First two verses. Come and let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us. But he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. What? He'll revive us after two days. Now, does this sound like two 24-hour days? That means that he <laughs> took him out, wounded us, bandaged us, and it's all in a span of 48 hours. No, it looks closer to being... He has torn us apart, being 70 A.D., dispersed us into the nations, brought us back into the land. And it says after two days, he will revive us and he will raise us up on the third day that we might live before him. Sounds like the two days of the church that weren't specifically revealed in the Old Testament and the third day being the Millennial Kingdom. That doesn't do any damage to the text or anything else. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. He is going forth. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And he will come to us like the rain. Like the spring rain watering the earth. Are we in the night time and the sixth day? We don't know. What we do know is we need to be ready for the trumpet. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for the, your Mercy, your grace, your love, we thank you for your word. We thank you for encouraging us during difficult times. Father, we thank you for uh, intriguing us through the, the systematic study of your word. And Father, I just pray you'd be with us and help us to remember the important things today. So that as we go forth from here that we'll be able to glorify you. Let us keep our eyes fixed on our Lord Jesus Christ as we encounter the difficult times that we find ourselves in. For we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen.